Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis on all the topics you're talking about in the game. Today we've got even more than that. We've got a very special guest. We're joined by Brighton Albion striker and all-round legend Glenn Murray. Welcome to the podcast again, Glenn. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me back on. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And of course, I'm joined by Duncan Castle as always. I'm Ian McGarry. We're going to start off with some news, as we always like to. Duncan. Nemanja Matic has been having a, it's fair to say, turbulent, if not disappointing season at Manchester United. Um, You have some um, questions answered, I suppose, as to why that is the case. Yes, Matic um, barely used by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season. Um, And he's basically come to a decision that he wants to leave Manchester United uh, at the end of this season um, for no transfer fee uh, when his contract expires. He he is in the final year of a three-year deal. Manchester United hold an option uh, for uh, a unilateral option to extend for a further season. Uh, But Matic has made the decision that um, he wants to leave this summer. And that's been motivated principally by the way he was handled by Solskjaer in the summer. So Matic had uh, not been the primary choice for Solskjaer last season. Uh, In the summer, he had offers to move to Inter, and to Milan, two separate offers from the big Italian clubs. Obviously, with Inter, it would have been reuniting with Antonio Conte, who he'd uh, played with at Chelsea, won the title with at Chelsea. Um, He was interested in taking up those proposals because he felt that he wouldn't be a first choice uh, in Solskjaer's team this season. Um, He was also interested for uh, financial purposes because they were offering him extended long-term deals on uh, good wages, um, which would uh, help secure future for himself and for his his young family. Um, He took that offer to Manchester United and said, look, um, if I'm not going to be a first choice in the coming season, I would like to take up these proposals. Um, And he was told by Solskjaer that, uh, no, you will be, you are part of my plans. I do want to use you. You will be an important player in the first team next season. So I don't want you to leave. Uh, And in fact, I'm not going to let you leave. So that kind of put an end to the the possibility of a transfer. And then we've all seen what's happened. Um, He's seen Scott McTominay play ahead of him, Andres Pereira play ahead of him, obviously Paul Pogba play ahead of him, and latterly Fred play ahead of him in the first team. Um, he is understandably unhappy with the way he's been handled by Solskjaer and that's um, led him to take this decision that now there is that interest from Inter and Milan remains that he would like to make that move and he um, would like to be allowed to leave without a transfer fee um, to enable him to secure the best terms at his new club uh, when he moves there. Glenn, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's difficult when um, you come to the point in your um, club career where things are not going the way you want them and uh, it it seems inevitable as a player that you need to move on. I'm sure you must have found that in your own career. How difficult is that to negotiate and 
I guess, you know, to try and make sure that the right decision is made for you and for your family? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult scenario to be in uh, when, when you're being told one thing, but deep down the signs are that uh, it's the exact opposite. Um, it, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Um, I can understand it from managers' point of view because um, they need to keep players happy and, and maybe telling a white lie here and there appeases players sometimes. Um it's no good burning bridges with your players uh, because you may need them uh, when it comes to injuries and things like that. Um, so it's it's I, I can see it from both camps. I, I can see obviously managers um, trying to look after their best interests, as in their their team selections and their squads, and, and trying to keep it harmonious. And then I can also see it from the players' point of view, where you'd feel uh, and you know deep down you're not wanted despite what's being said and it's it's just a matter of time before you can act upon it in, in a transfer window and I think in, in this situation obviously Matic's got all the power with only having um, this year left on his deal It's a bit strange Duncan isn't it because um, in Matic's first season at United when he was uh, bought by Jose Mourinho uh, uh, your favourite friends like uh, Gary Neville and um, Paul Scholes were all saying, thanks for the present, uh, Chelsea, giving us your best player. And things have gone kind of rapidly, not downhill, but certainly they've levelled off and gone downhill since then. Look, I think um, if you were to talk to the Manu Matic, um, he would say it's pretty difficult being at Manchester United because he's been one of the players scapegoated for their problems. He's been a, a player that a lot of the supporters like to criticise and, and talk about being too slow and, and being an issue in their midfield. And I think if you were to ask Matic about that um, in a private moment, he would tell you that he has had to do a huge amount of work in Manchester United's midfield because he's playing alongside Paul Pogba. And I think anyone who knows the game will watch the way Pogba plays in midfield and they'll see his his brilliance on the ball and his, his ability to create, but also a reluctance to do the basic work of, of running and being, placing yourself in the right defensive positions. And I think Matic has had to do a lot of... He's basically had to play one and a half people's role from a de- defensive perspective for United and, uh, and take the criticism that's gone along with it. And, and I think... You can also compare him to Scott McTominay. If you if you look at what happened to Solskjaer when he came in to Manchester United, he left Scott McTominay out for I think seven eight games, um, uh, sort of first team important Premier League games. The first time he used them was in uh, an FA Cup tie against Reading, and it and it was very much because I think. McTominay was associated with Jose Mourinho. McTominay had been picked by Mourinho ahead of some of his centre-backs and it, and it was a populist decision to leave McTominay out. And I think the same thing happened with Matic. Matic, of course, was even more associated with Mourinho, having been a Mourinho player and a, and a player Mourinho had, had asked Manchester United to pay a very significant transfer fee to get out of Chelsea. So it then became easy to drop him um, and, and that worked well with the fans. And, uh, and and it's placed Matic in this difficult position just off the back of that. And then to be in a situation where, you know, if you, you openly come to the manager and say, look, if I'm not going to play football, 
as a regular, and, and you know this is a player who's 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 got a pretty storied career um, as a Premier League midfielder. Um, you know, won titles, um, been as you say credited with making a huge difference to Manchester United when he first came into the team. Um, you're going to get frustrated about not playing, and I think you're going to get doubly frustrated um, when you have a substantial financial offer in the when you're in your 30s, which, which can secure um, your family's uh, well-being going forward, and um, and you've been told you're going to play uh, in this season, and then you barely are chosen, and, and players who you would justifiably say don't have the experience and quality you have uh, as a midfielder are being picked ahead of you? Well, I would say this to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because when we just listened to the podcast, um, one former Chelsea player said to me about Branislav Ivanovic, who, of course, is a international and former teammate of Matic, and that is, don't mess with a Serbian. So, Ollie. Watch out, yeah, Glenn. So I've I've talked about how I consider Matic as a as a footballer. What's your view as someone who's actually played against him and uh, and watched him through his, his Premier League career about his qualities as a midfielder? Well, I mean, I think it's it's make no bones about. It. He's had a fantastic career and he's he's taken the the Premier League by storm. Um, he might not do a glamorous job. But he does a very important job for the team in, in in sort of gluing it together. He's the one that wins the ball back and, and plays it simple for for others to thrive. Um, I think he knows what he's good at and he's he's based his game on that. And he obviously did it at Chelsea and won the Premier League, and he moved on to Manchester United in his early days, like you like you touched on, and he did it very well there. Um, I think in this moment in his career, he will want to play more football. I think when. You hit that 30 mark as a footballer. Time starts to pass you by a little bit quicker. Um, I know I know that very well. And I think the main aim is to play as much football as possible because you know you can't play forever. So I'm sure that he's eyeing his next project. What Do you have any particular memories of playing against him? Because he's, um, he's a very big unit as Matic for... Yeah, he, he, you know he covers back really well. So if 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 ever, and anyone from from your team finds the striker's feet, he's the one that's sort of turning and running back at you, and he can be quite an imposing figure. And when it when he's in possession of the ball, he's very difficult to get the ball off because he's he's so gangling. He uses his arms so well, and he's 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 a very good footballer. Has he got what we say telescopic legs, Glenn, when it comes to tackling you? Yeah, and and and, and very brittle legs as well. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been caught by them a few times, but no, he's, uh, he he uses he uses his frame very well. Obviously, he's he's, he's quite a, a tall and strong guy, and he uses that to his advantage. Well, there we are. That's what Manchester United could be losing in January should Nemanja Matic move on, um, as he would like to, as Duncan has reported. Um, we come now to this weekend's football and uh, a big game at Manchester United's at Old Trafford against Brighton. And, um, of course, it is completely by plan that we've got Glenn Murray on the pod today because, historically, Brighton have never gone into a game against United being above them in the league. At this point, they are placed 8th and 10th, Brighton being the uh, team who are above Manchester United. Um, 
Glenn, you've played in a couple of games um, in the last two seasons where at the Amex, where um, uh, Brighton have beaten Manchester United, and one specifically where obviously it was um, to secure. Uh, the club's uh, place in the Premier League. So, what what would be? I mean, you're you're someone who's watched obviously Manchester United over the years. You you're were brought up a, a Manchester United fan. The changes in that club, and let's just say from your let's start with a player's point of view. Um, would you ever expected to be going to Old Trafford um, this? Weekend being above Manchester United in the table. Well, I think I think the easy answer to that is no. Um, you always expect Manchester United to be fighting for the title, or, or, or I have in, in my lifetime of watching them, but they're on a transitional phase uh, ever since really Sir Alex Ferguson left, and, and it, it's they haven't quite got it right yet. They're still searching for that perfect formula. Um, you've surprised me with the stat about Brighton never ever being above them I never knew that which is it's it's quite uh, it's quite a good stat for us um gives us a lot of belief going into the game um and I can remember when I first started playing the Premier League and and you would line up against Manchester United in the tunnel and you'd have a sneaky little look uh, to your left or to your right which, whichever way they were standing and um and you'd almost be beaten before you even went out. I mean, they had some real superstars and some fantastic players that were at the top of their game and they were winning European Cups and things at the time. But now they seem to have lost that that fear, uh, that fear factor. Um, and I think, as we can all see, the fear factor now lies with Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, so, as a Brighton player, we've been working all week on going to Old Trafford and we will be trying to get points out of the game and, and we believe that, that our philosophy can bring points back to Brighton for us. Without without giving too much away, Glenn, um, how do you set up to play Manchester United at the moment? Because it seems pretty obvious that they don't do well against teams that sit back because of the way Solskjaer set the team up to play counter-attacking football and to be dependent on pace. And it strikes me that the way Brighton have been playing recently, um, going on the front foot, and uh, you know, I, I watched the Tottenham game with Ian, um, where I was very impressed with how aggressively Brighton pressed Tottenham from the start. Um, that actually might not be the best way to approach Manchester United at present. That is a question for the wrong man in sending it my way. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we as a group have been working on what we're going to do and we always work on how we can affect um, our, our opponents both in possession and the best way we can affect them um, out of possession as well. And, and nothing will change in, in going to Old Trafford and playing, playing Manchester United. We'll, 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 we'll do the same um, the same build-up and, and, and we'll work on how, how best we think we can affect them. In terms of, um, you said, Glenn, that when you used to go to Old Trafford, you'd be in the tunnel and there'd be that fear factor and everything else. And a lot of people talk about that, about being beaten in the tunnel when Fergie was um, in charge, et cetera, et cetera, because this is Old Trafford, this is Manchester United and this is Sir Alex Ferguson. Obviously, things change. They have to change. Um, but things have changed very, very quickly 
big over, big um, turnover of managers, also of players as well. Um, do you think, um, and I've heard other people say this, that Manchester United in some ways have lost some of that fear factor um, that they used to have in the tunnel at Old Trafford. And, uh, you know, the fact that um, it's not quite the same for opposing teams to go there now, as has been proven by results. Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. What what's been proven by results uh, in in the recent past? I mean, you see teams in in the bottom half of the league go to Old Trafford and and give Manchester United a really good go and sometimes beat them. So that that makes other teams alike aware of that result and and it, it gives you belief. Um, for us personally, when we've been in the Premier League, obviously this is our third year in the Premier League now, but out of the top six teams, we've always fared best against Manchester United, obviously built, beating them twice at home and narrowly losing twice at Old Trafford. So out of, out of the top six, we, we have been best suited to play in the Manchester United team and I hope that continues this weekend. Is, it, is there a sense that there's an advantage a kind of strange advantage in playing one of these big teams away from home in that if you can get through the early stages of the game without conceding, you get an anxiety um, and a, a sort of uh, a negativity coming from the home support because they still expect to be a, to be winning that kind of game and there's an impatience about them that comes from being on a bad run of results. I think that expectancy is for the majority of teams in the Premier League when a, a Brighton or a Norwich or, or a, a recently newly promoted Premier League team come. Um, obviously, it's probably heightened a little bit more with the, the top four, five, six teams. And yeah, I mean, it's it's to plan to go there and frustrate and, and, and let let the, uh, the fans sort of get a little bit vocal and... and, and and put a little bit of pressure on their team. But listen, we're talking about Manchester United here and Manchester United players are used to used to being talked about heavily in the media and a little bit of grumbling from the fans doesn't change the way they play, I don't feel. Well, let's talk a bit about Brighton because um, change manager in the summer, um, Graham Potter's come in with his own coaching staff. There's been a distinct um, change in the style of play, style of management, um, 15 points already on the board, which um, is very impressive uh, given uh, the fact that Brighton are still trying to establish themselves long term in the Premier League. Um, what's it been like in terms of being a player under Potter, uh, seeing the change of tactics, change of style of play, and uh, what do you think the positivity? has brought to the club in terms of obviously achieving results as well? Yeah, I mean, as soon as, soon as the gaffer came in, um, everyone does their homework. Uh, players would be lying if they didn't. They have a sneaky look at his, his career and where he's been and what he's done. And we obviously saw him last year at Swansea. And, and a game that we all actually watched together, funnily enough, was the FA Cup game against Manchester City. And we were all mightily impressed with, with how close Swansea pushed them. So we, we we knew a little bit about the gaffer, and um, and we knew that the, the the style of play was going to change. And we spent the whole of pre-season working on that. Uh, it was very gradual. 
and it was it's it's a very calm camp. Um, the players all respect him very much, and he's brought a new philosophy to Brighton that I feel as though the players have bought into and worked really hard to understand. Uh, and there was a willingness to understand and to evolve from from all the players at the club. And I think you can start seeing that come into fruition a little bit now. Even the fir- the first two, three, four weekends of the season, it wasn't quite there yet. We did pick up a few results. Uh, you could see signs of it, but now I feel as though we're getting into our stride a little bit more and you see we have 15 points there. And I think with a little bit of luck, we, we could have had another three, four points, to be honest. Yeah, definitely, yeah. How have the nuts and bolts of, of being a footballer changed under Graham Potter in terms of uh, training, um, preparation for matches, his uh, tactical approach to games? Um do you have more variation in the the way you set up against teams as, than you did under the previous manager, for example? Um, I think we have a more tactical approach. We we spend a lot more time in the media room, working and watching opponents and and the coaching staff and the analysts, obviously showing how we can hurt the team and and how. And, and being able to put that in front of us to show us on a screen and then taking it onto the pitch is so much easier than somebody trying to explain it just on the pitch alone. So we've had a lot more tactical meetings. Um, but, I mean, the, the place it, it, it's the place is really buzzy. Everyone's really happy. Obviously, results have been good. Uh, I believe they can get better. But the performances is the main thing. And the performances, even when we've lost, we've tried to play our way and we feel as though the performances have all been very positive. Um, I, the Aston Villa match springs to mind for me. Um, for the first 30 minutes of the Aston Villa match, we were we probably played the best football of the season that we've played. And we went 1-0 up. And the game was only going one way, to be honest, until we got a, a man sent off. Unfortunately, we didn't ride the storm of, of Villa Park and, and we lost that game. But... Through through circumstances, we lost that game. I feel as though that game was probably the best 30 minutes of football we've played all season, yet we lost it. So this, this, we've still got to make improvements and we're still working day and day out on the training field. Um, but as, as far as sort of the squad and, and the environment inside the, the training ground and... It's it's very relaxed. Uh, it's a trusting environment. The, the gaffer trusts his players to to look after themselves, and he pushes us to the right limits um, out on the field. Um, everything's analysed. Um, how far we've ran, how much weight we've lifted, and, and we looked after. Um, so yeah, I mean the place. It's a good place to play football at the minute. Can you can you run us through one of those tactical meetings, Glenn? How how long do they last for? Um, what does uh, the manager use in terms of identifying ways to play against opponents? Does he is it all done on a on a team basis, or do you get individual um, instructions on opponents as well? No, it's it's all. T- I'll go back to the start. Sorry. So we 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 normally have a meeting before training so that we can apply those methods to the training session after. Um, okay. And a meeting a meeting can last anything from 10 minutes to maybe 30 minutes um, and it's, they're, they're quite intense we, we, there's, a, there's a lot to learn in those meetings and then each meeting changes really from, from different opponents um, 
And as far as personnel-wise, we all learn the tactics as a position and not as a person. So, therefore, anyone on the bench or anyone possibly not expecting to play should know their job if their time comes. So you're, so, so you're having a meeting before each training session which is tailored to the next match coming up? No, not, not, not each, not every single training session. But we'll have two, three meetings a week that are tailored towards, okay. towards getting a result on Saturday or, sun, or Sunday as, as this weekend falls. <laughs> Clint, the last time you came on the podcast, um, you were like, I don't know, a fortune teller. Uh, in a in a wagon in Blackpool somewhere, because you said two players to watch out for are one is Aaron Conley who will get his first Premier League goal soon, and Stephen Alzati who is definitely a player. And the very next day, one scored two goals and the other one was man of the match. Now we want to tap into your um, your uh, inner Glenda. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call it that. Well, and, uh, I'm, rub- I'm rubbing my crystal ball now and I'm, well, I'm getting rub- nothing. <laughs> well, we, you don't have, you, we'd rather not get that image in our heads. <laughs> but you rub whatever you like. Um, what do you think of um, Leandro Trossard and his uh, impact on the team? Because I think he, to me, has been quite an outstanding signing for Brighton. Yes, um, without doubt he has. So far, Leo has been very instrumental in, in in the games that he's played. Obviously he picked up a little injury in the last international break when he was away for away with Belgium. And he's he's, he's a quality player and he's he's is really imperative to us and the way we play as as you've seen over the recent weeks when he's coming as a substitute. And again, going back to the harmonious squad bit He's one of our highest signings. Uh, I'm sure he thinks he should be playing. Um, he's fit, but yet he's biding his time to get back in the team. And and when he's getting that opportunity to come on the field for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, he's proven his worth and and he's he's, he's pushing pushing the gaffer to to put him back in the starting eleven because he's been doing so well. And just a bit about yourself as well. You've had to set out obviously starting games, which is not. Um, something you're used to um, you're used to uh, being right in the thick of it and everything uh, uh, in terms of games um, I know that must be frustrating for you but at the same time um, do you look upon the team now and think well I'll get my chance because uh, we all know that players suffer injuries or suspensions and everything else and, and therefore you will be you know, called upon uh, to produce at some point yeah, I mean, that that I, I live in hope that I will get my chance. Whether I do, only time will tell. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm a professional footballer. I'm employed by Brighton Hove Albion. My job at this present moment in time is to keep fit and keep ready for if and when the gaffer does need me. Um, it is frustrating sitting on the sidelines and, and I want to play more, but sometimes you've got to suck it up and it, it, it's... It, it, it's all about the the like I keep going back to that that harmonious squad off the pitch. Um, listen, I'm behind Neil and Aaron at the minute, but there's no bitterness from my end. I'm 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 happy for them. They're 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 playing really well. Um, I try and help Aaron as much as possible. Obviously, being a younger striker, 
and like like we 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 touched on last time I was on, I I, I fancied him to get to get a goal soon enough, and 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 he sure did. He he, he burst onto the scene against Tottenham, scoring two fantastic goals, and he's he, he, and he's been playing ever since. It's it's just about supporting the group, um, and. Let's be honest. I'm I am 36 now, and I can't play forever. So um, things do change, and 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 I'm willing to change with the times. Glenn, it, it, it strikes me Brighton have retained that tactical option of of having a striker like yourself is of a different type to the to the two they're starting. Were you surprised as a as a Manchester United supporter when they decided to go? Just with the two forwards of a of a very similar type for this season, um, and and let the the, the bigger um, centre forward who can play with his back to goal go in the summer. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a way of playing and a philosophy that he believes in, but it did surprise me um, to let what I feel is guaranteed goals in the Premier League go in. Lukaku, um, he's he's proved it season after season for for much lesser teams than Manchester United, um, West Brom, and things like that. And I I just feel as though maybe leading into a European week or weeks when fixtures pile up a little bit, whether it be a League Cup fixture and a Premier League fixture, or whether it be an FA Cup fixture. He's just someone that you can put on there and, and he will get you goals as long as you put that ball in the box. And it, it must be easier as an opponent and as a manager if you know that the, the team you're playing against are, are going to continue attacking the same way through a match and that they, they don't have that alternative of, of bringing on a, a bigger forward and playing a, playing a more aerial game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose from from a tactics point of view and from a management point of view, that that must be quite settling. But let's take nothing away from what they have got. They are mm. really good at what they do, and and they're difficult to stop. I mean, Marcus Rashford, he's a fantastic striker already, and he's only going to get better. And I think there's a lot of improvement in Martial. I mean, we see glimpses of how how brilliant he can be, and I'm, I'm sure he, he will mature into being a fantastic player. Glenn, we're not going to put you on the spot by asking you for your prediction for Sunday's game. That would be a bit unfair of us, I think. Um, but clearly, it will be a Brighton win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I oh, hope so. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Glenn Murray hat-trick. Um, what we will do, though, is move on to um, what will be uh, and has been billed as one of the biggest games or the biggest game of the season so far which, of course, is half past four on Sunday afternoon, and that's Liverpool entertaining Manchester City at Anfield in a duel between the top two teams. Six points separate them so far. There's been a lot of um, talk already this week with regards to the build-up to this game. Um, It's going to be pretty epic if um, everyone believes what they're being told and sold uh, with regards to uh, the game itself and um, the two managers have certainly indulged themselves in a little bit of um, banter uh, up to this point. Um, Duncan, we talked a bit in the pod uh, this week already um, about um, 
petulant Guardiola uh, talking about um, uh, Sadio Mane's diving. Sadio Mane and Jurgen Klopp have now had their replies. Mane in particular saying, if I would get a penalty, then I'll do it again. Uh, but I don't believe I'm a diver. But if that's what he thinks, then I don't care. Um, you think that's fair enough in terms of you know his response to what Guardiola said? I think it's um, it's an interesting response to say I would dive again, um, and I'm, I'm intrigued to know if he gets into For any me. problems with the football authorities over over um, what he said, because you don't often. I, I'm struggling to think of a of a professional footballer who's actually said I would dive again um, or I would dive. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what, what Glenn's view on this is. First of all. Guardiola um, putting pressure on Liverpool by by saying sometimes they dive and win games, um, and, and secondly, Sadio Mane's response to it. Yeah, I mean d- diving. It's, it's always a pretty hot topic, isn't it? Um, hmm. Obviously, it's been thrust into the limelight even more so by Pep and and this game coming up this weekend. Um, Unfortunately, I think diving is part of the game. Uh, in, in what way you determine that, um, that, 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 that's for you to decide. But I think sometimes when you're, you're heading at speed into a challenge, you, you sometimes expect contact that maybe mm-hmm. doesn't come and you're always, already on, on the way down. Now, if there's no contact, it looks really bad, and I don't think that you can get away with that anymore. There's no fooling the referee and linesman anymore. We've got VAR. But if there is contact made in the box, I think we need to accept that the striker is well within his right to go down. That is, unfortunately, part and parcel of the game, and I think if we try to eradicate that in the Premier League then when we play in European competitions for our clubs, we'll put ourselves at a disadvantage because the games will be refereed differently. And when we go to international tournaments, we'll put ourselves at a disadvantage as well. I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I think um, England in particular has an obsession with diving and I've, you know, I've worked at newspapers that have, uh, have, have gone on anti-diving campaigns, um, which were just um, horrendous and embarrassing in my view. And, and I think, uh, I think football has been better since we've protected forward players. Um, and Duncan, can I just, can I just jump in there? Sorry, but we, yeah, we sure. whenever we speak about diving, it's always in the opposition penalty box, isn't it? It's always, it's always the centre forward looking for a penalty. Mm-hmm. Listen, in, for, from my point of view, goalkeepers get a foul any time you touch them. That is, that is a form of diving. You touch a goalkeeper, he goes down. Yeah. That, that, that is a form of diving. Because it's not as, in, I don't know, as uh, an important an area or, or as... Um, or the, or the circumstances maybe aren't as high, then it, that, that sort of gets overlooked. Or when, or when a defender's going into a corner with, with the ball and a defender and a, an attacker races in behind him and touches him and he goes down on the ball. It's like, th- these are all forms of diving, but it only seems to be the strikers that get the brunt of it. Yes, I, I would agree on that. Um, 
Where do you see it as unacceptable? I mean, for me, the Manny one at the weekend, um, I think there was contact, but he he kind of sends he sends himself to the ground in such an exaggerated way. I think it's difficult for him to defend what he did there. Would you agree with that, or would you say that's 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 okay because he's signalling that that there was contact from the defender? I think that's that's the one thing that that, that we we don't like is the extravagance of a dive uh, when someone tries to make it look worse than what it is. But for me, in the box, if a defender hangs a leg out, whatever pulls a shirt, pushes in in whatever scenario. Mm-hmm. If he's in physical contact with the striker, he's running the risk of giving a penalty away. And how about um, the, let's call it the Mo Salah technique? I, I've, I've sort of observed the way Salah's been playing over the last couple of seasons and he seems to have got very intelligent in the sense of um, making contact with the defender or encouraging contact with the defender and then falling to the ground and not appealing for a penalty but hoping he gets one and popping back up rapidly, which, which I think is, is clever in the sense of he can get a penalty that way and he's very unlikely to get booked for, um, for being extravagant because of the way he goes down and comes straight back up. Right, so I will throw that question back at you and you've just described Salah <laughs> as intelligent and clever. Yeah. Now, yeah. as a manager, as his manager, would you be happy with that? I'd be delighted as long as he keeps winning penalties and, and doesn't get booked. But um, then, I'm talking about the, it as a neutral and as a, an opponent, would you be happy playing against that? Oh, well, we have played against him and I think we did concede a penalty against him. did, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we got beat 1-0. Um, but again, players like Salah have got great feet and they're super quick. They do invite contact all the time, whether it's in the penalty area or outside the penalty area. And he's well within his right to invite contact as long as he's not stepping into contact or, or dangling a leg out to, to, yeah. to, to get contact. Then he's well within his right to almost tease a defender to dive in and move the ball out of the way. And if he gets kicked into penalty, I mean, is, is that not correct? No, I, I agree. I, I think that's the discrimination for me as if, if you're... Um, if you're inviting contact, then that's skill. But if you're actually initiating the contact, then then it becomes questionable. Yeah, I, I agree. But then I go back to the to the defender who's got nowhere to go and he's going back towards his own corner flag, say, and the defender, t- the striker touches his back and he goes down. Is that inviting contact? If the... If the the striker touches him and goes down, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's uh, that you don't want to see because that's that's creating a foul, isn't it? How much does that happen on a weekly basis? You tell me. The, the, you're the, you're the, in the middle of the yeah. Games. Well, I mean, this this is the problem. The strikers get a, a bad a bad rep because of it, but yeah. yet everyone's at it. Yes. I, I think you make a very good point about goalkeepers and, and defenders and, and well, it's something well, that just gets ignored really a defender steps across the striker goes to ground and gets the foul what 95% of the time exactly I'm, I must say about goalkeepers I don't particularly think goalkeepers dive they're just in my protected. opinion overprotected yeah yeah Glenn, Glenn have you ever been booked for simulation 
simulation, Ian, without contact or with contact? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't go down in the referee's report that way, Do you know what? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't think I have. But if contact comes in the box, it, I, 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 go, I go down if, if I think it's going to benefit me and my team. No, no my point was, was this, um, Glenn, that... Um, your style I, I, of play. Your style of play is that it, I think it'd be difficult for you to do the extravagant dive because that's not in your mentality. I've never seen you do it. I've never seen you try to, you know, uh, in some way simulate uh, contact or whatever. But I have seen you be fouled in the box, but not get any. Uh, you know, joy from the referee with regards to what's a penalty or contact or whatever. Does that frustrate you? Because you've got little guys um, who are smaller than you, lighter than you, etc. Like like Sal, like Manny, who can go down easily and yet win penalties. Whereas I think, and this is just my personal opinion that if you did the same thing, a referee would just laugh it off and say, are you having a laugh, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a difficult difficult one to answer, isn't it? It's, um, I suppose it, it's your makeup. I mean, for instance, if you've got Andy Carroll backing in and somebody comes into the back of him, it's going to take more for Andy Carroll to go down than it would, say, a lighter player or, 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 a, or a smaller player. So where's the threshold? Uh, how honest do you want to be as a player? I think that's where where the question lies. Um, going back to your last question, I don't think I've ever been booked for simulation, but I can remember a time, I think it was two years ago in the Premier League. Yeah, it was two years, yes, because we were playing Stoke at home and I got away in the box and Ryan Shawcross brought me down and it was a stone wall penalty. And when, when you don't get it, it's so frustrating. And the referee's almost calling you a diver without booking you or anything and saying that there was no contact there was 100% contact and I can remember feeling really aggrieved at, at that moment that would two years ago is probably the period when the, the English football had its last big campaign against diving wasn't it when they were giving those two match suspensions if, yes, if the referee correct. had missed yeah, it uh, yeah that's right retrospectively as well yeah which always struck me as absurd that you give a two-match suspension to someone um, even if they had simulated, whereas players get to kick each other and injure each other and sometimes only get a yellow card. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 all we talk about is, is the opposition penalty box. We, we, we don't talk about diving and things in the context of the middle of the park and things, yet this is rife throughout the game. It certainly is. I mean, um, tactical fouling and with regards to, you know, in the middle third of the pitch, um, there was that dreadful tackle by Gwen Doozy, wasn't it, uh, of Arsenal, which was a, a rugby tackle, which was punished with a yellow card, but it was so obvious it should have been a red. But it would, didn't come in the right part of the field. And there is some of the contrast with regards to what the punishment is, even though the furl itself... In another part of the field would have been, you know, punished differently. And I, I do feel as though players have got better at protecting the ball. The, the game has changed quite considerably over the last 10 years. And players, 
use their body really well now because they know they're going to get a free kick. If they can get their body in between the man and the ball and there's any contact, it's basically a free kick wherever that may be in the pitch. It's interesting, Ian, that you mentioned tactical fouling because that, of course, was Jurgen Klopp's jibe back at Pep Guardiola. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, Glenn, is, is that something that's a, a common subject of discussion in the Premier League now, how, how Manchester City have sort of perfected the use of the tactical foul is to stop opponents from, from taking advantage of how many players they put up the field um, when attacking them? I, I, listen, I don't think it's just Manchester City that do it. I think everyone tactical fouls. We, we mentioned yeah. Guendouzi at Arsenal. Uh, it's, it's part and parcel of the game. And, and a team, in my opinion, managing a game well. If, if you're leading and you have a corner and they get a quick breakaway, then it is the, the clever thing to do, shall we say, is to bring someone down around the halfway line before anything materialises in the final third. Is it something you see City doing more than other teams? Because there's, there's some quite good statistical data on, on, on how often they use it um, and have used it over these couple of seasons where they've been the top team in the Premier League. City high press you really, really well. And I think that they, they can be, they sort of lock on from all angles. And obviously when you're locking on with aggression, fouls can be made. So, yeah, I mean, it, it might be a tactic. It might just be the way, way they play. What's your expectation, Glenn, with regards to how um, Manchester City will line up and um, try to obviously reduce the points deficit against Liverpool this coming Sunday I think Manchester City will be going into this game quietly confident because looking at Liverpool's recent form especially in the Premier League that they haven't they haven't done fantastic I mean they scraped past Villa at the weekend in 94th minute they beat Spurs a close game again 2-1 they weren't at their best against Manchester United getting an equaliser in the 85th minute and then we go even further back to the Leicester game where they scored 2-1 95th minute Milner penalty and then even further back we go back to scraping past Sheffield United at Bramble Lane 1-0 so I mean Liverpool haven't been in great form in the Premier League and I think Man City will be aware of that It's, it's, it's amazing how Liverpool have managed to um, to get so many points out of uh, what haven't been consistent performances at all but uh, look, you look at Manchester City going into this match with possibly without their goalkeeper um, definitely without a, a settled centre-back partnership um, they look more fragile defensively than they have been over the last two years and um, you, you think it's a great opportunity for Liverpool um, to at least maintain that points advantage and, and potentially turn it into one that you would see as being quite difficult to overhaul. Well, as we always uh, say on the podcast for the last six weeks, it's Liverpool's title to lose. Um, that being the case, it'll be very interesting to hear both Duncan and Glenn's um, choices for a combined uh, Liverpool Manchester City 11 where we go 4-3-3 in our format uh, so first of all guys I'm going to ask you first Glenn for your goalkeeper please 
Edison. Well, I think he's, he might be injured, so I'm not sure. Do we, Duncan? Oh, is it an all round? Oh, is uh, it just available this weekend? On form, yeah. Available this weekend, but we'll let you choose Ederson because Jurgen Klopp think thinks Ederson's going to th- be We fit. think he's probably going to be fine, but actually, to be honest. Tell, it, tell uh, us why. Tell us why you choose Ederson over Alisson. Just the way he's played over the past past uh, two seasons while he's been at the club. Um, his, his passing range is fantastic. He never, ever gets under under pressure and he always comes up with big stops. Um, Alisson's, I mean, it's it's really close, isn't it? I mean, th- there's no real reason why I, I pick Edison over Alisson. I just think that he's done it for longer and he's probably done it a little bit better. Glenn, do you get annoyed playing against Edison because you know that even if he close him down, he's going to probably pick a 60-yard pass? I mean, it can be a bit soul-destroying making that run over and over again and he's playing it around <laughs> you to, to, a, to, a, to a deep line Especially at 36. Yeah, or, You're or, like, or, or, oh, seriously, mate. Or, I mean, I, <laughs> you I, do I, this I, to I, me. I look over my shoulder and I can see that the midfielders have been picked up, the, the wingers are high, and then he zings one seventy yards into Aguero's chest and it makes you feel a bit like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I'd choose Ederson for for that reason. I don't think there's much between them as goalkeepers in terms of uh, shot stopping, and and Ederson does seem to have that ability that Allison has as well to 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 bring out them that, that incredible save when it looks like the opposition are going to score. But Ederson's definitely better with the ball at his feet, and so so that I think is the reason to choose him ahead of Allison. That may have been possibly Kyle Walker's best chance to get in this team. Um, <laughs> although, although, Glenn, you may tell me differently. Who would be your right back? I think I've got to go with Trent. I think uh, he's such an attacking force for Liverpool. Um, and I'm sure I read a stat the other day that he's, he's, he's crossed the most balls in the Premier League. So that, that shows you how important he is to to Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool's philosophy. Yeah, I think um, on in terms of that ability to create for the team, and he's so important for Liverpool's creation because they, they, they project those full-backs so much and allow them to put balls into the area. Um, you've got to choose him ahead of... Um, I think the, probably the second option might be Joe Gomez and, and if in this kind of combined team maybe put Joe Gomez in to get a bit more defensive strength there but I think Alexander-Arnold's the best right back of the, of the lot at present So Glenn I'm not going to ask you to name the two centre-halves you'd rather play against because um, I'm sure you'd um, choose the ones that you're going to choose so the ones you would rather not play against so please give us your two centre-backs uh, um, obviously Virgil van Dijk yeah. who is currently the best the best central defender in the Premier League if not the world um, yeah. and then to partner him it's, I think it's a really difficult one obviously if Laporte was fit he, he would he would 100% partner him but I think I'd probably have to go for Matip I'd agree with that to be honest he's much better than uh, Lovren and um, has been for some time so Duncan would you agree with that? Um, I'd, I think I'd have I'd put Joe Gomez in as the uh, as the second centre back with Van Dijk um, but I'd like to ask Len why 
you see Van Dijk as being probably the best in the world. What's that? How? Why is he so hard to play against? Well, I mean, first and foremost, he's a physical specimen. He's, he's huge, and uh, and, and he, he can physical physically dominate most players. Um, he's quick, and I think above all else, for 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 his age, he reads the game so well. Uh, he always seems he's one of those defenders, and and they only come along every so often, and they're really special. That 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 are one step ahead of of their opponents, whether whether it be in the Champions League or the Premier League. I mean, you think you think back to the likes of of Rio Ferdinand and John Terry and things, and and I really I think he I think he's in that bracket, and and to do what he did at Liverpool, which which always seemed a bit of a problem area for them, um, and people questioned the price tag of of seventy five million at the time. They were obviously after his signature for quite a while. And to go into a club like Liverpool and, and really shake their defence up and say, this is how we're going to do it and, and, and become, become the main man in defence in, in such a short, short space of time. And he, he seemed to be the, the, last, the last piece of the puzzle to make that Liverpool side what, what they are today. So Duncan has... Very graciously invited Glenn to um, join his club in making this not the quickfire round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, so we'll move quickly on to right back, Duncan. Left uh, back. Had, uh, left back, sorry, I should say. Thank you, Glenn. Yes, left oh, sorry. back. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologise. You correct me whenever you feel free. I think Andy Robertson has to be the left back given Manchester City have such problems in that area and um, how strong he's been since moving to Liverpool. I agree with Robertson. Again, wow. That was very quick. You just made it quick fire, didn't you? Uh, I'm trying to make it quick fire, yes. So midfield three, uh, I'm coming back to you, uh, Glenn. You can go for all three if you like, or you can just go right to left. Oh, now this is a real problem, isn't it? This is where I could spend this is a, a classic. bit of time. This is, this is a classic problem. I tell you what, I'm going I'm to um, I'm gonna let age go before beauty. And Duncan go. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you actually seen Duncan? <laughs> I, I said age before beauty. <laughs> Same thing. Um, well, I, I guess I've got a few years on Glenn, um, even even at thirty six in the Premier League. Um, so I will give him a midfield of Fabinho, holding midfielder, who I think is the best holding midfielder in the Premier League at present um, with N'Golo Kante being in and out um, on fitness and it's going to be interesting to compare the two when they're both fully fit and then I'd have the two Manchester City um, sort of number eights in Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne alongside or either side of Fabinho Yes, I mean I've been racking my brain there as Duncan was speaking, and I really don't think I can go away from those three. Um, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne has to play. Fabinho is the best defensive midfielder, and and Bernardo Silva is. I mean, he's just he's always in the right place at the right time, and he, he makes Manchester City tick. Who, who did you vote Player of the Year last year, Glenn? 
Oh, now we're talking about a cold Tuesday morning at the <laughs> training ground. What? And you voted I, for a cold Tuesday morning? I in training voted ground. for. No, I'm just trying to rack my brains. <laughs> Who did I vote for? I think I voted for Raheem Sterling. Okay. So we know who's going so, to be in your attack then. So will Ram Sterling be in your front three then? There's a the question. I think Raheem Sterling's got to be in the front three, hasn't he? Mane's got to be in, and then that leaves one more. Aguero. Whoa, there we go. I like that. Just, just because I feel as though Aguero could feed really well of Mane and Sterling. Who would you like as a striker to be giving you the chances? To protect those, those goal chances up? Well, I, I don't think it would be another striker. I think it would have to be Kevin De Bruyne. Okay. So you got him in the team already? So Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, he's, he's the one that can, can really see a pass or, or sling it in behind the defence sort of and, and give you that, that one-touch finish on goal. Uh, I think... I think it's 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 obvious that he's got probably the best vision yeah. on 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 the field between the two the, the two teams. Duncan, any um, disagreement with Glenn's front three? I um, it's very hard to to put Bobby Firmino out of the team and his famous armpit, especially. Um, well, well his armpit causes problems, so let's just let face up to that. It's always, always offside, apparently. <laughs> According to the Premier League, yeah. Um, but I guess we've got so much quality in the team, we can afford to have Aguero there and have a little bit less work um, in terms and uh, contribution from a defensive perspective. So, yeah, I'd go with, I think Raheem Sterling has to be in, um, getting better and better as a player. Sadio Mane is exceptionally good and delivering goals in key moments again and again. And, uh, well, Aguero just scores, doesn't he? So, yes, I think I agree with that front three. Fantastic. Uh, for a, a strange moment, we have an agreement between um, the pundits uh, and one who's a professional footballer and one who, well, he's not a professional footballer. Uh, <laughs> and that is um, Ederson and Goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, Gomez Armatic, maybe, Virgil van Dijk, Robertson uh, in defence. Then we go Kevin De Bruyne, Fabinho, Bernardo Silva, Ryan Sterling, Sergio Aguero, Mane. Uh, I think that'd be quite a team in terms of uh, beating anyone. So um, I thank you both for uh, those contributions. Um, it's left to me only to say that if you want to um, give us your ideas on um, what the combined 11 would be uh, for the big match this weekend, continue the debate with us. Do a transfer podcast on individually. It's at Duncan Castles, at GM underscore 83 for Glenn Murray, at Garbo SJ for me. Uh, so, Glenn, just as before we let you go, please give us a score prediction for the game of the season so far in terms of the Premier League title. Liverpool versus Manchester City on Sunday. What do you think? In the current climate, I am going to go with a home win. Liverpool 2, Manchester City 1, with Liverpool getting the win at 
sometime after the 90th minute. <laughs> was a dive <laughs> from Sadio well, Mane. I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> Brilliant. So just before we go on the Transfer Window podcast, I just want to say a shout-out to my son, Aidan, who you all know is João Cancelo's favourite shopping buddy in Manchester. He's 17. Uh, happy birthday, Aidan, from me, and also from Duncan and Glenn. Happy birthday, Aidan. Happy birthday, Aidan. Have a good one. Magnificent. There we go. So thank you very much for listening. We'll see you through the transfer window on Monday. Yeah.